Our scripture today is the 69th Psalm in its entirety. And it says this, I'm reading from ESV. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire. Where there is no foothold, I have come into deep waters, and the flood sweeps over me. I'm weary with my crying out. My throat is parched. My eyes grow dim with waiting for my God. More in number than the hairs of my head and those who hate me without cause. Mighty are those who would destroy me those who attack me with lies. What I did not steal must I now restore? O God, you know my folly. The wrongs I have done are not hidden from you. Let not those who hope in you be put to shame through me. O Lord God of hosts, let not those who seek you be brought to dishonor through me, O God of Israel. For it is for your sake that I have borne reproach, that dishonor has covered my face. I have become a stranger to my brothers and alien to my mother's sons. For zeal for your house has consumed me, And the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. When I wept and humbled my soul with fasting, it became my reproach. When I made sackcloth my clothing, I became a byword to them. I am the talk of those who sit in the gate, and the drunkards make songs about me. But as for me, my prayer is to you, O Lord. At an acceptable time, O God, in the abundance of your steadfast love, answer me in your saving faithfulness. Deliver me from sinking in the mire. Let me be delivered from my enemies and from the deep waters. Let not the flood sweep over me, or the deep swallow me up, or the pit close its mouth over me. Answer me, O Lord, for your steadfast love is good. According to your abundant mercy, turn to me. Hide not your face from your servant, for I am in distress. Make haste to answer me. Draw near to my soul, redeem me, ransom me because of my enemies." You know my reproach and my shame and my dishonor. My foes are all known to you. Reproaches have broken my heart so that I am in despair. I looked for pity, but there was none, and for comforters, but I found none. They gave me poison for food, and for my thirst they gave me sour wine to drink. Let their own table before them become a snare, and when they're at peace, let it become a trap. Let their eyes be darkened so they cannot see, and let their loins tremble continually. Pull out your indignation upon them, and let your burning anger overtake them. May their camp be a desolation and no one dwell in their tents. For they persecute him whom you have struck down, and they recount the pain of those you have wounded. And to them, add to them the punishment upon punishment. May they have no acquittal from you. Let them be blotted out in the book of the living. Let them not be enrolled among the righteous. But I am afflicted in pain. Let your salvation, O God, set me on high. I will praise the name of God with a song. I will magnify him with thanksgiving. This will please the Lord more than an ox or a bull with horns and hoofs. When the humble see it, they will be glad. You who seek God, let your hearts revive. For the Lord hears the needy and does not despise his own people who are prisoners. Let heaven and earth praise him, the seas and everything that moves in them. For God will save Zion and build up the cities of Judah, and people shall dwell there and possess it. The offspring of his servants shall inherit it, and those who love his name shall dwell in it. It's the word of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you. Well, here we are. So when my, my brothers and I were kids, we had a very interesting neighbor. <laughs> um, she was always coming over to our house about once a day. And she, every time she came over, it was with a new crisis, some new problem that she would come in and get my mom's ear, and then she would complain at a great length. 
And because our family read Reader's Digest, we ended up calling her the drama in real life lady. Have you ever read that, that column, Drama in Real Life? That was, that was a nickname for her. Because nothing in her life ever was resolved. It was always this unresolved, never-ending drama. Everybody in the world was against her. She was always under attack. And she was just never satisfied and content. Now, everybody gives in to self-pity and bitterness from time to time. That's not what we're talking about today. But every so often, I bump into somebody for whom this is like a lifelong trend. They're just constant complainers. Have you ever met somebody like this? They're the drama in real life people, or what today they might call the drama llamas. And the drama llamas are unable to rise above their suffering and their struggles. It's just that's all consuming for their life. And the universal trend I found, no matter who I've found to be this kind of drama llama, the universal trend is that each one of them does not have a trusting relationship with an all-powerful, all-knowing Savior. You see, there's nobody to really lift them out of their suffering, so they complain at great length without any hope of release. Now, we have to ask ourselves, when, when we just heard Steve read Psalm 69, when we read Psalms like this, where David or the author is moaning at great length about his personal problems, is David just being a drama llama? Is he just complaining to vent and maybe drag us all down with him into his depression? I don't think so. You see, David does something really different here than what the drama in real life lady did and what a lot of these people do. He takes the direction of his complaints Godward, which causes something really amazing to happen. He encounters this real change that brings his life to a better place even while he's in the middle of his suffering. So I want to take a look here at Psalm 69. And it's a big psalm. You heard it. There's a lot to unpack in this psalm. But to sum up, Psalm 69 is a series of three prayers where David is responding to some serious personal attacks on his character. Now, we we kind of pick up some contextual clues here. But from those clues, we find out that the situation is that David is being persecuted for his devotion to God. He's not being persecuted by strangers, by typical enemies. He's being persecuted by fellow believers, who are probably former fellow believers, who used to know him, used to worship with him, and now are attacking him. And there's that sense of betrayal that you get when you read through Psalm 69, when you hear those words that he says in verse 8, when he says, I am a foreigner to my own family. I'm a stranger to them. They were with me, now they're against me. He's doing doing the right thing by following God, and now David's being attacked by it. That's really unfair. You ever feel that? That's just unfair. If nothing else, we can certainly identify with having people spread lies about us behind our back. I know pretty much everybody I've met has had that happen sooner or later. Some of you are nodding right now. Yes, I've had that happen. People are doing that to me right now. Well, when you hear lies that have been spread unchecked for who knows how long, it's not just infuriating, it's devastating. Those lies, we can't set the record straight. We can't go around to every single person and say, no, 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 don't believe what they said. Here's the truth. Sooner or later, we just have to live with knowing that there's these lies out there that have been spread against us. And that's why the Bible so strongly condemns the sin of gossip. 
because it's very cruel and it can be long-lasting, even here in the church. False accusations do much more than give the recipient sleepless nights and stomach ulcers. False accusations can ruin lives. You look at what a false accusation did to Joseph. It sent him to prison for years. False accusations sent Jesus Christ to the cross. False accusations made martyrs of many of the early church. And whatever these specific accusations were against David, they were so severe that he felt emotionally, spiritually, physically worn out to what he says is the point of death. He uses this image of drowning slowly, having the waves just struggling and having the waves start to lap over his head as he's gasping for air. That's how he's feeling. That's the kind of pressure and the stress that these accusations have done to him. And all he can do at that point, all any of us can do when we are going under is to reach up and to grab the hand of the lifeguard to save us. Now, in 1985, there was a, a group of lifeguards that had been watching over a pool in New Philadelphia, Ohio. And they decided at the end of a very safe, successful summer season that they wanted to throw a giant pool party. So they invited a lot of people. They had a great time. They were celebrating the night. But about a couple, two or three hours into the night, somebody looked down and they saw at the bottom of the pool somebody lying there, fully dressed, dead. That man had drowned, surrounded by a hundred lifeguards who didn't you know, let the fact that, you know, that was kind of an irony situation. But they could have saved that man if they were only paying attention. Fortunately for us, our lifeguard is never off duty. He never fails to pay attention. You might be feeling that way right now, like maybe God stepped out for a really long break and suddenly the world is falling apart. But that's not what's going on. His eye is on you. He knows intimately and fully what the attacks were against David and the situation that we might be going through in our lives. And he hears and responds when we cry out for help, just the way David did. Now, that response may take a while. We need to put that out there. David said right here in verse 13, you can look at it, God's response would come in the time of his favor. In the time of his favor. But it would come. See, God sometimes waits to answer those prayers because he's using these difficult situations to shape our lives and to make us more dependent on him. I guarantee you that in the past week, more people have offered up prayers to God than did the week before or the month before. There are a whole lot of prayers going up right now to God. A whole lot of people that are turning to God to depend on him because they feel so powerless. They feel out of control in their lives. They're facing this fear that threatens to overwhelm them. But they suddenly come around and realize that if they can't rely on themselves, maybe they can start relying on God. Verse 26, David even alludes to the fact that God you, it might be using this time of personal attacks on his character as a divine discipline to shape David, to make him stronger, to make him more firm in his faith. The point is that suffering can change our direction by, from leaning on our own strength to leaning on God instead. It's not just an abstract concept right now. I mean, for us, it's real. So we're invited to lean on God today, to depend on him in a very real way as we face a real danger. We can expect that our faith and our trust will grow in this time. 
provided that we're reaching up the way David did. Now, there are, depending on how you count it, there's about 10 or so categories of psalms. People like to, to put psalms in different categories. And there are about 10 or so types of psalms. But the one type of psalm that is perhaps the most difficult to ever teach and preach on are the psalms that we call imprecations. It's a weird $5 seminary word. But an imprecation is when a psalmist is deeply upset about an injustice in the world and he pleads with God to smite his enemies hard. And you heard this imprecation right here in the middle of Psalm 69. It got very uncomfortable there for a minute, didn't it? Here David begs God. He says, God, take away my enemies' home. Take away their heritage. Take away their lives. This is what he says. He says, pour out your wrath on them. Let your fierce anger overtake them. What do we make of that? This struggle we have with imprecatory psalms is that to our ears, they are not loving. They are not pleasing to God. We are commanded nowhere in the Bible to pray curses and vengeance upon our enemies. But instead, as Jesus said in Matthew 5, we're to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. So what's going on here? Is David just letting his emotions get the best of him? What we need to understand is that an imprecation is born out of a very specific situation where a great injustice is being done against God and God's people. And at the heart of it, the psalmist really wants to see justice done. But instead of taking action himself, and David could have you know, taken up a sword, ordered the army around, he could have taken up action himself. Instead, the psalmist lifts up the problem to God and says, God, please make this situation right. And they're using very extreme language, but at the core of it, that's what they're asking for. They're asking for justice. And that our hearts should always desire that God brings justice to the world. And if it takes personal suffering uh, to change our perspective, God may use that to make us more tender to the sense of injustice in the world. But today we stand at a different place than David did because we're on the other side of the cross. And on the other side of the cross, we still desire to see justice, but that is holy God's to give. Instead, our focus and our ministry is redemption and forgiveness. Redemption and forgiveness. We see that when Stephen was about to be stoned, talk about false accusations, brought out, accused falsely, and about to be ready to be stoned to death. At that point in Acts, he prays for his enemies. He prays for them. He desires their redemption. He loved them at that moment right before his death. Now, we're not meant to pray imprecations. I want to make that clear. If I haven't made that clear, let's, let's make that clear right now. That might sound really fun to pray for specific torments on those uh, annoying us in our lives and those causing bad situations. But it's not the prayer God desires you to pray. Our calling is to first and foremost pray for the conversion of the heart's of those who do not know Jesus Christ. Even David shows a hint of this in verses 32 and 36 as he points his readers to the Lord. He says, You who seek God, may your hearts live. Those who love his name will dwell there. We need to pray for people. We need to love them from our hearts, even when they're bringing injustice against us. Now, lately I've been reading, I, I used to watch this series on HBO called Band of Brothers, but finally I'm getting to read the book. It's really good to read this book. It's an account of a parachute company in World War II 
that fought, against, fought across Europe. And in the opening chapters, the soldiers, they were all giving their testimonies and their accounts. And they were recalling how they went into boot camp and they had to train harder than any other soldier in the army. And part of that was because they had a cruel and sadistic commanding officer. And he would give them punishments for no good reason. He would have them stuff themselves with pasta and then run up and down mountains until they, they threw up uh, just to make them sick. And all, all the time, he would just yell at them constantly. There's just that verbal abuse. And the company suffered greatly under his command. But they also said that it was really interesting that that suffering, that shared suffering, brought them together. It forged them into this fighting unit, this cohesive unit that was determined to stand against any and all future threats. So even, even later on, years later, when they recall these stories and they said, we hated that guy, but what he did brought us together. That suffering brought us together. The Bible repeatedly makes the case that Christians share in Christ's suffering. We share in the suffering of Jesus Christ. We identify with it. It's part of who we are. We take up that cross. And when we suffer, it helps us to grow our understanding of Jesus Christ. It helps us to change our perspective to see a little bit of what Christ went through. We stand with him. We join his team. We become this functional unit. Psalm 69 is one of the most frequently quoted psalms in all of the New Testament, and that's because so much of it points forward to the life and times of Jesus Christ. Verse 9 here, David writes that zeal for your house consumes me. Jesus was accused right there in John 2. He said, zeal for my house consumes me as he's clearing out the temple that they had turned into this den of, of markets and all these things taking advantage of people. In John 15, he points to verse 4 here in Psalm 59. It says, Jesus was hated by the world without reason, just the same way that David felt people were hating him without reason. And then you can look at verses 3 and 20 and 21, and get a vision of the cross. All speaks to Jesus on the cross, his voice worn out, calling for help, his throat parched, scorn breaking his heart, his enemies surrounding him, and the only drink offered up to him was vinegar on a sponge on a stick. And as great as, and dire the situation that David was going through here in Psalm 69, it was really nothing compared to how Jesus would suffer. In a very real way, David's suffering brought him closer to a Messiah that he had yet to meet. And our suffering does that as well. Because we know we have a Savior who also was attacked, also struggled, also was tempted, also had to persevere under extreme stress. When we join forces with Christ, we know that we're opening ourselves up to attack. That the world will attack us because we're aligning ourselves with him. We're identifying ourselves with Jesus Christ and all he is and all he stands for. We're with him. And the end result is that, of that is that we share in his suffering. And we learn more about his Savior. We, we become more proud that we're taking blows on his behalf. David's experience here in Psalm 69 had a great purpose because it pointed believers forward to the promise of the Messiah, that there would be one who would come to share in all of their suffering. And in that process, would bind them together in that shared suffering into a single unified force. And what would they call that force? They'd call it the church. 
Now, back when I was a youth pastor, I'm sure Steve's going to nod at this, I used to joke that Israel in the Old Testament was pretty much a teenager. It was always complaining, always rebelling, never grateful, and never quite understanding what his father was trying to teach it. Israel was a teenager, and its biggest failing was that Israel was always a self-centered had the self-centered nature, was rarely taking its problems Godward. It's instead just becoming that drama in real life lady where it's always just complaining and my life is never good and I always need more things. And I hate you, right? Instead, because as a result, Israel languished spiritually and God often had to send Israel to a, to a timeout in a corner to get punished before it could bring it back and restore Israel. King David, on the other hand, to his credit, shows an understanding of a life that surpasses and surrounds suffering rather than gives into it. By the end of Psalm 69 here, he has found the perfect antidote to his problems. You want to know what the perfect antidote to your problems are right now? The suffering and the struggle you're going through. David found it, and it's right here. He praises God. I'm not, that, that's not something light. This is a perfect antidote. This praise comes from the heart is sincere and pleasing. And the more David suffers, the more he turns around and praises God. It's amazing to see this. And as weird as it is to say, suffering can indeed change our hearts and urge us to praise God. 2 Corinthians 4 says this when it says, it's all about, it's a matter of perspective. Paul writes this, Therefore, do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes, not what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Fix your eyes on what is eternal, and you will start to praise God. By the end of Psalm 69, David is not in the clear. He's still under attack. It doesn't say suddenly, oh, everything's better. Oh, well, God, thank you. He's still suffering. But his perspective has changed. His eyes are wholly fixed upon God. It's, they're fixed upon the eternal glory that's been promised to David. And he says, I can go through this right now because at the end of the day, at the end of my life, I get that eternal glory. And that's going to far outweigh anything I'm going through in the here and now. Now, suffering and struggles can change you into a drama llama. They can make you inward-focused, self-selfish, self-centered, always complaining, never happy. And that'll happen if all you depend upon is yourself. But if you depend upon God, as David does here in Psalm 69, it will change your sense of justice, draw you closer to God, draw you closer to the sufferings of Christ, and bring praise to your lips as we are renewed day by day. And that is my prayer for you today, that we will seek God, cast our eyes on God, be renewed day by day, and just praise God in our hearts, even as we go through this time of suffering in our lives. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we are humbled in your presence. We have no means to come before you and complain or demand that you make things better. Because, Lord, we know what we as sinners truly deserve is to be cast away from you, to be rejected from you the way we have rejected you. But, Lord, instead, in your great mercy and your grace, 
you offer us a free gift of salvation, a gift of grace that we might have our sins absolved, that we might be drawn in to your family, not as servants, but as sons and daughters of the King. And not only do we get to become your sons and daughters, but Lord, you give us blessing upon blessing upon blessing. And right now, it might be hard for us to look around and see where those blessings are. But Lord, you still are blessing us. You are still providing for us. You are still sustaining us. And you are working through our situations to bring your gospel and your glory to the world. So Lord, I pray that we would lean upon you as David did here. That we would love you. We would praise your name and not curse you in this time. And all God's people said, Amen. Thanks for tuning in with us this morning. Uh, Whether you're watching this live or you're watching it after the fact, we appreciate you being a part of what we're doing here. So thanks for taking some time out. And Justin, you're right. When when things happen like this, we're instinctively trying to band together. And what's unique about this is we can't quite do that traditionally. But the beauty of what we know is that no matter where we go, height nor depth, angel nor demon, heaven nor hell can separate us from the God who loves us. So something we have that is unique is we are in the palm of the Lord who loves us, and we can't be separated from that. On a more practical note, if you need something, let us know. If you need to talk, give us a call. That letter we sent home, the email we sent out, all of your elders, Pastor Justin's number's on there. If you need a a grocery run, if you need someone to talk to, if you uh, need someone to pray with, please do not hesitate to reach out uh, to us because we love you and we realize that this community does still need to band together. It just might look a little bit different than it normally would. So until we meet again, we plan on doing this again next week. We appreciate you joining in. In the name of Jesus Christ, go in peace. We love you and we'll be in touch for sure. Stay safe, stay healthy, practice your social distancing. Thanks for tuning in with us this morning. We love you all.